Just to mention, the Mind Bible study here at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship is our adult midweek verse-by-verse Bible study. I personally don't believe that there's any better way to learn the Bible than to just pick a book and go through it verse-by-verse, and that's what we do each semester here in the Mind. So this semester we're studying the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, please turn to 1st John chapter 1. I'm just going to do a quick review from last week before we dive into more stuff this week. But again, let me remind all of us tonight that as you enter into the letters of John, or any of the correspondence of the disciple John, that it is unique amongst the writings of the New Testament. I don't believe any human being was closer to the Lord Jesus on earth than was John. So when you read the Gospel of John, when you read the book of Revelation, which was also written by John, and then these letters we're going to study this semester, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John wrote five books in the New Testament. I think he has a unique perspective on Jesus on life, on following Christ. And I'm excited to dive into these letters this semester. So last week in 1 John, we talked about how John said, look, Jesus Christ and a relationship with him allows us to experience the greatest life, the highest life, if you will. Not that we can't have life or can't have a good life without Jesus, but that there's no way we can experience life at the very highest level. There is no way that you and I as a human being is going to be able to experience life the way God intended for us to experience it. There's no way we're going to experience the best that life has to offer, the greatest life, apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why John said, verse 2, And the life was revealed, and we have seen and testified and announced to you the eternal life that was with the Father and revealed to us. An eternal life is not a quantity of life. It is a quality of life. It is not the word bios in the Greek language. It just speaks about a heart beating and a brain functioning and physical existence. It's the word zoe in the Greek language. It speaks about, again, experiencing life as it was meant to be. The essence of life. But we also know last week that God not only created us to live in a relationship with Him, but to live in fellowship with Him, in partnership with Him. In a sense, locking arms in arms with God and walking through life. And so that's why John writes in verse 3, what we have seen and heard we announce to you too, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And you'll also notice... And I made this one of the main points last week, that if you and I truly are in fellowship with God, then we will be in fellowship with other people who are walking with God as well. We we cannot say, well, I'm on the same page with God. I'm locking arms in arms with God. I'm in fellowship with God if we're not in fellowship with other believers. Because God designed that if we're in fellowship with Him, we will be in fellowship with those who are walking with God as well. But I want to just talk for a moment, because I didn't touch on this much at all last week, and it's so huge to the entire understanding of this letter, that there is a difference between relationship and fellowship. 
And we all know that. If we think about it a little bit, it's self-evident to us. And when John writes this letter, he's writing to us as Christians about how to stay in fellowship with God after we've had the relationship thing taken care of. That in a sense, John is saying, how do I stay on the same page with God? How do I feel that closeness with God? How do I, how do I know that God and I are locking arms and arms together through life? That's what this letter is about. It's not about having a relationship with God and how do I have a relationship with God. That's the gospel of John. That's for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel of John was written so that people could read that and come to know Jesus in a personal way as their savior in a relationship. But when John writes 1 John, he has a different purpose in mind. He's writing to us about how we stay in fellowship with the God that we already have a relationship with. Let me give you a couple of illustrations so I think we can land this tonight. Let's take a marriage. Husband and wife. They're married. They have a relationship. But let's face it, they're not always in fellowship with each other. They're not always in partnership. They're not always on the same page. No one would question the fact that they still have the relationship when they're out of fellowship. But fellowship and relationship... Two different things. Two friends. You can have two friends who they have a relationship. They would never question the fact that they're not friends any longer. But that doesn't mean that throughout their friendship that they're always on the same page. That they're always in partnership. That they're always, in a sense, of one mind about something. It just doesn't happen. So I think when we begin to think about the difference between relationship and fellowship, we certainly see the difference. And, and what John is simply saying is, I, I'm already, you know, trusting that the people I'm writing to have a personal relationship with Christ, and if they don't, read my gospel. But if you have a relationship with Christ, and you want to make sure that you're walking with God hand in hand, arm in arm, throughout life, staying on the same page with God, then First John's the book for us. And it's all about fellowship. And because you and I have the confidence of knowing that we can walk through life arm in arm with God, notice in verse 4 of chapter 1, that's why we can have joy. And that's one of the first purposes that John says he writes this book, is so that our joy may be complete. And we talked, we, we settled on this a little bit, because this was a very important point, how the reason I can be joyful as a Christian at all times is not because all things are always good, not because the circumstances of life are always what I want them to be or what maybe they should be. Sometimes I'm going to go through pain. Sometimes I'm going to go through suffering. Sometimes I'm going to really struggle in life. But the reason I can always have joy is because I know that I'm not walking through anything alone. That God and I are going to face this giant or this obstacle or this struggle together. We have locked arms and we're going to get through this together. It's not just me trying to go up against this situation, trying to face this challenge on my own. It's me and my God facing it together. And that's why we can always have joy and why our joy needs to continue to grow throughout our walk with God. 
With that said, you'll notice we also got into a little bit last week about the fact that God is light, verse 5, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And the fact, again, that if I want to be on the same page with God, if I want to be in fellowship with God, then that means I've got to walk in the light, which is exactly what we saw last week in verse 7, where John says, if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. And God is calling all of us, even as Christians, out of the darkness into His light. Because even as a Christian, I can take, I can step back into the darkness at any time. In fact, I can go into the darkness and stay there even. And God is saying, don't stay in the darkness. If you're in the darkness, then you're not on the same page with me. Because again, as we said, God is not going to come to the dark side. God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. So if we want to walk with God, if we want to be in fellowship with God, if we want to be in partnership with God, locked arms in arms with God, on the same page with God, we've got to walk in the light. Which means also that we've got to have two characteristics in our lives as Christians in order to stay in fellowship with God. Humility and honesty humility and honesty. And we're going to see this down through this passage. We started to get into this last week. Because if I have any kind of pride in my life, first of all, then I'm going to say, well, God, I got this. I don't need to invite you into this part of my life, or I don't need help with this, God. I got this on my own. And then we leave God out. And when we leave God out of any part of our life, we're going to sap ourselves of the joy and, and, and what we could experience even in the good times of life if we leave God out. God, see, wants to be invited into everything in my life, every part of my life, everything that I go through, God wants to be a part of. Good and bad. Because if it's even good, God will help me to experience the good at a whole other level from what I could ever experience without God. So I've got to stay in the light. But we all know, well, if I go into the darkness, and let's say I sin, let's, let's say I do something wrong, it is hard, isn't it, to go back to the light? Because once I go out into the light, guess what? I'm exposed. The light shows me for what I really am. I was wrong. I blew it. And so many times, like Adam and Eve, we want to hide. When we've blown it, we want to cover up. And, and that's not what God is asking us to do. It's almost counterintuitive for what we automatically do as human beings. I do something wrong, do it in the dark. Do something wrong, stay in the dark. Hide, cover it up. Don't, don't ever confess. You know, make excuses. Shift the blame to somebody else. And God says, no, 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 you got to understand something, child. That, that I love you. And though I might not have liked what you did, when you're willing to come out into the light, then you and I can help fix this together, and, and I can deliver you from this, I can heal you from this, we can, we can move on from this. But as long as you stay in the dark, then God is not going to come into the dark, chase us into the dark, to do anything. So that's why God says, stay in the light. Even though sometimes it hurts. Even though sometimes it's like, wow, God, but this is... This is showing me for who I really am. And that's where the humility and honesty comes in. That's why notice what John says in verse 6. He says, first of all, we can start lying to others. We can say to them that we have fellowship with Him. But notice he says, if we say we have fellowship with Him, and yet keep on walking in the darkness, we're lying and not practicing the truth. In fact, we're missing the mark two ways. 
First of all, we're lying and not being honest about our relationship with God. And second, we're not doing what we know we should be doing. And John says, don't even start down that path of trying to to live up to an image, a reputation, uh, of trying to, to be a pretender. Even if reality stinks at the moment, God is like, Jeff, just, just let's be real here. Let's be transparent here. Okay, Jeff, you're struggling. Don't, don't act like you're not struggling. Don't act like you've got everything together. That's, again, where the humility and the honesty has to come into our lives and seep into every core of our being so that we'll walk with God throughout life, even in the light, even when we're struggling. And yet we all know we live in a world that's very image-conscious and image-driven, where even many Christians pretend that they're walking with God and that they're on top of the world. You know, even at church, you know, we'll see others and see everybody. You know, and the first thing is, how you doing? I'm doing great, you know. And the person may be dying inside. They may have had a terrible week. They, they may be just totally ready to give up, but we put on a front, we, we put on a smile, we tell everybody we're doing fine when we're not. And God says, I can't help people like that. Any more than a counselor could help somebody if they're not willing to admit they got a problem. It's only until we're willing to come out into the light and go, i got to own this, I'm struggling, that then God says, great, Jeff, now we can begin to deal with the situation. And many times it starts with even lying to others, as John says in 1 John 1, 6. One of the statements I want to share with you tonight, I'm going to repeat it because it's pretty important to me, and I hope it will be to you, that... Many people, even Christians, spend so much energy on pretending that they have no energy left for living. Let me repeat that. Many people spend so much energy on keeping up pretenses, on keeping up an image, a reputation that they have no energy left for living. And God says, don't pretend. Don't, don't try to keep up some kind of image or reputation. I know what's really going on anyway. I'm God. I know everything. So let's just be honest, Jeff. Let's just be humble, Jeff. And let's not put up any kind of fronts. Then we can begin to deal with the things you're struggling with. That's why in verse 8, notice he says, If we say we do not bear the guilt of sin... Now, first of all, in verse 6, we start lying to others. Then notice it progresses in verse 8, if we don't continue to walk in the light, verse 7, that then we deceive ourselves. We start lying to ourselves. And we all know that if we even lie to ourselves long enough, we begin to believe it. That's why we see people many times on television and the news that we know are lying, but they've told themselves those lies long enough that they actually look convincing on television. Because that's the way it is. When you and I tell ourselves lies, or we hear other people tell us lies long enough, we can begin to believe that the lie is the truth. And the worst kind of deception is self-deception. So in verse 8, John says we can get to the point where, again, we want to we pretend like everything's okay. So, hey, I'm okay, got no guilt, no, no blood on these hands, doing everything fine, no struggles, me and God are like that. We're walking, never been stronger Christian, never been in better fellowship with God, and we could be far away from God at the moment. 
And so notice, John says, if that be the case, the truth is not in us. Doesn't mean we don't have a relationship with God. Doesn't mean we don't know the truth. If you study that phrase, what it simply means is that the truth of God that is in us isn't, isn't bringing to pass the intention of the truth of God, which is right behavior, which is honesty and humility before God. In other words, we, we know the truth up here. We know what the Bible says, but it's not bringing us to the point where it should. We're not letting it work itself out, if you will, and bringing us to where God would have us to be. That's what he means. That's why many people have looked at this passage and some even have concluded, well, this passage isn't written to Christians. This is written to people who don't even know God. I'll give you one proof, and there are many here, but just for the sake of time, I'll give you one proof, solid proof, that John was writing to fellow Christians. Notice how many times he uses the word we down through this passage. Does anybody doubt that the Apostle John had a relationship with Jesus Christ? I don't think so. I think most people would say, hey, John, he knew the Lord. He had a relationship. And yet notice, it is John who includes himself when he says in verse 6, if we say, verse 7, if we walk, verse 8, if we say, and then in verse 9, but if we confess our sins and he's including himself as a already believer in jesus christ in the struggle of being honest and humble before god and not pretending like everything's okay the disciples knew what that was like remember they were the guys like even peter who said oh lord i'll i I got your back i'm strong lord man Nobody's going to take you on my watch, and I'm not going to ever deny you. And Jesus turned to him and says, Peter, you need to learn a little humility. Because before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Remember the disciples were always arguing about who the greatest was going to be? I bet Jesus is going to give me the biggest palace in heaven, you know, type of thing. I mean, the Bible's filled with all these stories of how, you know, the disciples would go out and do something wonderful, and then behind Jesus' back, as if Jesus didn't know what they were talking about, they were arguing amongst each other about who the greatest disciple was. And especially, you can see that probably, you know, Peter, James, and John, especially those three, because they were the three that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and stuff, they were probably going around to the other disciples going, no, 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 I got to see Jesus transfigured, you didn't. I'm better than you are. I'm greater than you are. And then Peter and John probably, oh, Jesus loves me more than he loves you. No, John, he loves me. I mean, you can just see it. They were human like we are. No wonder John was writing these things. He knew from first experience. But yet notice what he says in verse 9. If we are willing to confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, Again, many Christians even have a misunderstanding of this because they'll say, well, wait a minute. When I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, did he not forgive me of my sins? Why do I have to confess? Because, again, we're talking about fellowship, not relationship. I'm not confessing my sins to my God at this point in my life to have a relationship with him. What I'm doing is I'm agreeing with God. That's what the word confess means, to just agree with God that what it is is what it is and say, you're right, God, I was wrong. You're right, God, that was a bad thought. God, I should have never treated that person like that. I should have never said that, God, I was wrong. And let's also remember this. 
many times, even as Christians, we condense sin into one category. That I've done something that I shouldn't do. And that's the only way we think about sin. Sin in the Bible is also not doing what I should do. See, we always think of the sins of commission, the things that I've done that I shouldn't do, but we very rarely focus on the things that we should be doing that God has said, please do this, do this, and we just don't bother. And then there's even the sin that, again, is just between me and God where it might even be a motive thing, where nobody else may, may see but I've got, a, I've got a selfish motivation for what I'm doing. I'm serving the Lord, but I'm doing it so that I can get the glory for it. Or I'm, I'm ministering over here because that makes me feel good. And I'm not really doing it because I love that other person or because I'm trying to give God the glory. I have a wrong motivation. And maybe I'm even doing the right thing, but I'm doing it with a bad attitude. Like a child. You know, oh God, I'll do it, but I don't like it. You know. All those things miss the mark. They're what the Bible calls sin. And all the Bible is saying, all God is saying is when, when His Holy Spirit convicts us, when our conscience pricks our, pricks our heart, whenever we know we've done wrong, that we just say, you're right, God. And then the fellowship can be restored. You see, it, it's like we say, it's like an elephant in the room. It's like tension that's there in a relationship and everybody knows it, but nobody's willing to deal with it. The same thing is true in our spiritual relationship with God. Nothing is going to happen with that relationship, but the fellowship's not going to be restored until somebody in that room owns up to what they've done and how they've hurt the other person or what they've done. And you and I all know that because we've all navigated relationships where we had a friend or a family member or somebody who did something, either to us or somebody else, nobody was willing to deal with it or say anything about it, we all either were forced to get together or something brought us together, and everybody knows there's an elephant there in the room and nobody wants to bring it up because it's only going to cause you know, a big blow up or problems, or else we just dance around it. We just pretend like it never happened. And yet we all know that when we do that, there's never really that ease there's never the freedom, there's, there's never the, the kind of attitude and the kind of environment that God wants, both in our relationships with each other and especially in our relationship with Him. He doesn't want those elephants to continue to exist in the room. So all He says to us is, Jeff, in order to restore your fellowship to me, just own up to it. And all you have to do, Jeff, is just confess it and then we're okay. But if you don't, then... That fellowship, you and I aren't going to be on the same page. Any more than you and I and another human being cannot be on the same page if, say, they've hurt us deeply and they don't even acknowledge that they've ever done anything to us. We may coexist in the room together. We may be cousins. We may be brothers and sisters. We may be spouses. We may, but we all know there's tension there. We all know that until somebody is the big enough person to be able to deal with that and get it out in the open and deal with it, that tension and that elephant is going to stay in the room. And that's exactly what happens to even Christians. Sometimes for weeks with God, sometimes for months with God, sometimes tragically for years with God, not because they don't have a relationship with God, but because that fellowship never is quite the same 
because they're just simply not willing to say, you know what, God? I blew it. And then God says, thank you, Jeff. Now let's fix it. Let's move on. And that's what verse 9 is all about. Folks, let me just say this too about relationship and fellowship because a lot of people get this mixed up even in the Bible. I'll use myself as an illustration of this. Almost 48 years ago now, I know it's, it's very surprising to many of you that I'm that old, but um, almost 48 years ago, I was born as the son into the Royce family. I became the son of Bob and Shirley Royce relationship was established. I am their son because I was born into their family. There's not anything I've ever been able to do or could do in 48 years and never will be able to do in all my lifetime to not be their son. I just am because they're my parents and I was born their son and that's the relationship that's established. Folks, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you are born into the family of God. And there's not anything you can do to be unborn out of the family of God any more than you and I could be unborn out of our physical family on earth. But many times I think where even people get mixed up and they begin to think that the verses in the Bible that talk about fellowship are talking about losing my relationship with God. No. John's talking about our fellowship with God. And just like me, there were times in my life where even though I was Bob and Shirley's son and I had a relationship with them and that did not change, I wasn't always on the same page with my parents. I wasn't always in fellowship with my parents. I didn't always get along with my parents. I wasn't always locked arm in arm with my parents. It had nothing to do with my relationship with them. It had everything to do with my fellowship with them. And see, again, John is saying God not only desires relationship with us, He desires fellowship with us. He wants to walk through every day with us, every minute of the day. He wants to be included and invited in on everything in our lives. And when you and I begin to invite God into everything and anything, and we walk not one step in this life without God, we're going to experience life as it was meant to be on this side of heaven. It's going to be as much as earth can be heaven on this side of heaven. We're going to experience that abundant life. And we're going to be filling our lives with joy because in the good times they're going to be even better than they could because God and I are experiencing it together. And when the times are bad and we're struggling and we're barely getting by, we're getting by because it's God locking arms with me and we're pushing forward together. And even when I fall, God is there to pick me back up and say, come on, child, come on, Jeff, get back up. Let's keep on moving forward. In fact, I want to share a verse with you. It's a great verse. Memorize it or meditate on it, underline it. Keep your finger in 1 John and go back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Oh my golly, it's 20 till already. Man, where does the time go? I'm not going to get through 1 John, am I? No, we'll get through 1 John. Isaiah, big book in the Old Testament. Find the Psalms, if you will, and start turning right. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Wow, I love to hear those pages turning. That's a Bible study, let me tell you. 
Isaiah 41.10, here's what God said to his people. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be frightened, for I am your God. I strengthen you. Yes, I help you. Yes, I uphold you with my saving right hand. That's a hallelujah verse there. That's a verse that reminds us of what John is saying. Listen, God wants to walk every... And and that's why, if you go back to 1 John, that's why you'll notice that John uses the word in verse 7, walk. Many of us, we run through life. And we get ahead of God. God goes, whoa, child, back up. I want you to learn to walk. There's nowhere in the Bible where, where God is, is wanting us to run ahead of him. He appreciates the exuberance and all of that, but he wants us to learn to walk with him. And he also doesn't say sit. He does say walk. And the word walk speaks about a steady progression, a, a deliberateness to life. Jesus walked through this life. He only lived on this earth 33 years and he was never in a hurry to go anywhere. And yet he accomplished more in in really three years of ministry and touched more lives and affected more of history just by walking with God the Father every day. And what you and I need to learn to do is walk with God. Not going to take time, but you go back to the book of Genesis. In chapter 5 of Genesis, we are introduced to a man by the name of Enoch. The Bible simply says, Enoch walked with God. And one day, he wasn't, because God took him. And Enoch was sort of a a foreshadowing of the rapture one day, where one one second we're here, the next second, where'd Enoch go? And that's the way it's going to be with Christians. One second we're going to be here, the next second we're gone. Enoch walked with God. Then over in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says Noah walked with God. You see, when God wants to describe people who are arm in arm with him, who are on the same page, who are in fellowship with him, he uses the word walk. And all he's saying is, child, I'm not asking you to run, but also I don't want you to sit because I want you to follow me, but let's walk through life together. Every step of the way, let's be steady, but let's be deliberate, and let's just continue to make progress. And that's what God is looking for. Notice it gets to the point back in 1 John, in verse 10, that in verse 6, if we start lying to others, and then in verse 8, we actually start lying to ourselves and deceiving ourselves, That if we continue down this path and we don't exhibit the honesty and humility that God is calling us to, that then we even get to the point where we call God a liar. Notice, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. And again, the Bible says his word is not in us. Again, not that we don't know the word of God, not that we don't know the Bible, but that the Bible inside of us is not bringing forth the, the proper effect of bringing us into fellowship with God and keeping us there and keeping us humble and keeping us honest before God and before others. So this is a big problem or else John wouldn't have spent so much time talking about it. God knows the propensity of the human heart 
is to hide in the darkness and make excuses and put up pretenses and shift the blame to others and all of that. And God is simply saying, Jeff, you want to walk with me, then let's be honest and humble. And when you make a mistake, take responsibility for it. Own up to it. I'll help get you get over it, and then let's move on. But don't, don't sit there trying to pretend like it didn't happen. Don't, don't sit there and, and try to act like everything's okay when everything's not okay. God is calling us to reality. God is calling us to transparency. And, and if, if the world ever needed real, transparent people, it's today. Because you can say, we can say in our culture all we want to about we are living in the age of reality television. Folks, that ain't reality. Well, maybe, maybe it's not reality. Much of what we see, much of what we hear, much of what we experience is fake. It's pretend. It's keeping up an image. It's keeping up a reputation. In fact, many people begin to crumble under that. Again, because it takes so much energy to try to be something that I'm really not, that eventually the weight of that is going to crush me. And God says, child, I don't want you to live one day like that. Just be real. Just be yourself. Relax with who I made you and who you are before me. And let's start walking through this life facing life together. And then chapter 2. He says, my little children, speaking as a spiritual father or mentor to the folks he's writing to. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Whoa. John, what in the world are you talking about? Here's where the balance comes. Here's where we as Christians have to keep the tension. We always want to let go of the tension, but there's times where we need to keep things in tension because it's the only way to keep it right. Certainly the Bible teaches, well, wait a minute, I'm never going to be perfect on this side of heaven. I'm going to sin even as a Christian because when I become a Christian, God doesn't eradicate my old nature. God doesn't take my old nature away from me. So even when I am a Christian, I can still sin. I still have the capacity to sin. Yes. But that doesn't mean that I need to approach every day as if, well, because I know I'm going to sin, I'm just going to not restrain myself and just go for it and be a sinner. And, and just resolve myself to the fact that, well, because I know I'm not going to be perfect and I'm going to sin and commit acts of sin, then I'm just going to sort of throw up my hands and just... And God says, no, no, somewhere between that extreme of just saying, well, it's just the way I am, it's just the way God made me, and never allowing God to change us to be like Jesus, and, oh, I don't sin because I'm a Christian, somewhere in the middle there is the right balance or tension. And what we have to do is really completely, if we're going to stay in fellowship with God and walk in the light as God is in the light, we really do have to change our perspective concerning sin and the domination and mastery that sin has over us. Instead of even as many Christians like saying, well, I just struggled with this for so many years, I'm just going to resolve myself to the fact that that's the way I'm going to be the rest of my life. God says, no, no, no. If you're a child of mine, and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, and you have access to the Bible and, and the church and to other Christians and to all this, child, you can overcome that. 
You can. You don't, don't wake up every day and say, I can't. Be honest, maybe, and say, I won't, but don't say, I can't, because the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And John is saying, I'm writing this to you so that every day, Jeff Royce, when you get up, don't get up on the day and already be defeated before you even get started. Don't wake up with the attitude of, well, I, I know I'm going to sin today, so just be who I am and, and just whatever. No, John says the proper way to wake up and face the day is with the attitude of, with God, I know I can gain victory over this. I know I can make progress in this area that's been holding me down. I know whatever hurt, hang up, or habit has been breaking my fellowship with God, that God is going to enable me to get a handle on that and to get mastery over that and eventually to get victory over that. And if we approach each day that way, with that attitude, rather than with a defeatist attitude, then God says it's going to go much better. Don't wake up. Already defeated, John says. Wake up knowing that the power that God gives us as his children is able to help us to overcome the things that keep breaking our fellowship with God. In fact, I want to show you a couple verses that reinforces this. Go back to the book of Romans in the New Testament, to Romans chapter 6. Paul, talking to Christians in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Romans 6, verse 6, Paul says, We know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin, notice, would no longer dominate us. See, sin should not dominate the Christian. It doesn't mean that the Christian won't sin. The Christian, you and I will commit acts of sin But God never wants His children to be dominated by sin. He wants His children to be dominated by the Spirit. Notice He says, So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For someone who has died has been freed from sin. Go up to verse 12, the same chapter. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not present your members to sin as instruments to be used for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead, and your members to God as instruments to be used for righteousness. Notice, for sin will have no mastery over you, because you're not under law, but under grace. And when we're under grace, we've got all the grace we need from God to be able to overcome the things that have mastered us, and dominated us, and discouraged us, and caused despair in our lives. God wants to see His children ultimately get victory and mastery over these things that have broken this fellowship. And that's the way we've got to start today. We've got to start today with the right attitude. Not that, well, God, I'm just, I'm just, this is who I am and this is just the way it's going to be and just resign ourselves to the fact. No, no. God says, fight that. And wake up every day with this attitude that with God on my side, and God in me, and the Bible in my mind and in my heart, and me and God locking arms today, I'm going to make progress over this thing today. This thing isn't going to beat me like it has beat me. And and I'm going to see me taking at least one step forward over this thing that's been holding me back from experiencing life the way God intended for me to experience. And if we wake up that each day with that kind of attitude, we're going to get on top of the things that hold us back and defeat us and keep us discouraged rather than allowing them to continue to drive us further and further into the ground. But notice back in First John, 
the provision that God makes. In chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, but if anyone does sin, so okay, God says don't start out the day just resigning yourself to the fact you're going to give in to that thing. Let me help you overcome it. But okay, okay, we're human. God knows we're weak and that we fail. So God says if you gave in one more time to that, okay, if you do sin, remember this child, we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Folks, don't, don't miss this. First of all, notice that God the Father is not this reluctant judge who wants to fry us and Jesus is up there pleading for the Father to, to somehow spare us and be merciful. Notice, Jesus is an advocate with the Father. God is one. Yes, He exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But folks, they're one God. They're all on the same page. They're all in fellowship. If Jesus Christ is for us, then God the Father is for us. And God the Holy Spirit is for us. God is for us. And so we have an advocate. All they're saying is Jesus Christ, the one who loved us enough to come to earth and die for us on the cross. He is our advocate, meaning He is our supporter. He's the one who stands by us even when we do sin and mess up. That's why we can have the freedom to come into the light because we know, unlike human beings, we won't be rejected by Jesus Christ. Maybe when we mess up and we fail and things are going south in our life and it looks like our life has gone down the tubes, yeah, some people in our life bail. They cut and run. They're only there when things are going well for us. They only want a relationship with us because we're on the top of the mountain. But we all know that there have been times in our life where we were in the pit, we were in the ravine, and many people didn't stick with us at those times. And Bible is saying simply here, anytime we sin, anytime we fall, anytime we're in the pit, anytime we are down, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ will stand by you every step of the way. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never abandon you. He will never cut and run. You are His child. He he will stand by you and I even when we do sin. He knows everything about us and He still loves us anyway. He's just simply saying when we do sin, let's own up to it. Let's come out into the light. Let's be honest and humble before Him. But if we sin, we always have an advocate. Jesus Christ will stand with you, folks. Never forget that. Never, ever, ever forget that. One more, and then we'll close. Verse 2 of chapter 2. And besides being our advocate, He is also our atoning sacrifice for our sins. And I'm just going to leave it there, and I'll start after that next week. Atoning sacrifice. What's atonement? It's a biblical word. What's it all about? I'm simply going to explain it, marvel at it, and then we'll close in prayer and allow you folks to leave tonight and maybe get out there and mingle with one another. The Bible teaches that the thing that follows sin is death. Stay with me. The thing that follows sin is always death. Death in its essence simply means separation. So that if we're talking about physical death, it is the separation of the material part of us from the immaterial. We're separated when we physically die. 
But the Bible not only says that death follows sin from a physical standpoint, that's why all human beings will eventually die. Nobody will cheat death because we've all sinned. But the Bible says that if I don't have Christ in my life, if He's not the atoning sacrifice, that I can also experience spiritual death and be eternally separated from God. And the one who bridges the chasm, if you will, who bridges the great divide between God and me when I have sinned is Jesus Christ. He is the mediator. His cross, in a sense, is the bridge between me and God. That's how much He loved us. He's not only the one who stands behind us and by us every step of the way, but He's the one that made this all possible to begin with. He's the one that left the glories of heaven, took on human flesh, went to the cross, suffered and died for us so that His life and His righteousness and His cross and His blood could be that bridge that established a relationship between the holy God that we sang about who never made any mistakes, never sinned, and you and I who are sinners. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And all I can say to that is, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'll leave you with this thought. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 2, that Jesus Christ was righteous enough and powerful enough that if any, every person that ever was born wanted to have a relationship with God, they could. That's how sufficient his atoning sacrifice was. But I also believe that even if you or I would have been the only human being on the earth, that Jesus Christ didn't just leave the glories of heaven for six billion people alive today and the billions of people that have been alive through history, but if you would have been the only one ever born, Jesus Christ loved you that much that he would have done it just for you and if he's done all that for us do we think he will not be with us every step of the way providing every if he's went to that length if he's done all of that just to establish a relationship with him do we not think that he will be there every step of the way as our supporter and advocate and helper Absolutely. You never have to worry about taking one step further in this life without Jesus Christ. Go this week. Walk this week with Jesus like you never have before. Hey, a couple of announcements. First of all, any of you that can stay for the Mind Mingle, we would love for you to stay. And who is this lovely gal coming here? Oh, it's my wife. Oh, thank you. Yeah, children's programming, though, ends at 8. So if you have children, pick them up, okay? Uh, hey, listen, don't forget, too, about the Men's Presents this coming Friday night. There's going to be guys out there. If you would like tickets to that, a great night for the family. Don't forget the rummage sale. If you can help us out with that in September, sign up for that. And hopefully, many of you can stay and hang out with us tonight. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, thank you 
Thank you for loving us so much that you not only want a relationship with us, you want a fellowship with us. You want to partner with us. You want to walk with us every step of the way through life. You want to help us experience life on a whole other level than we've ever experienced before. And God, I'm just going to pray tonight that that all of us here at The Mind tonight would just invite you in like never before into every aspect of our lives. Whatever it is, no matter how small, no matter how big, no matter whether it's good, no matter whether it's awful, that God, we will invite you into every aspect of our lives and we will experience you, Lord, at every level of our lives, every step of the way, and God, our life will become even sweeter from here on out because God, what we're doing, we're doing with you and we're not doing anything without you. God, thank you for your encouragement tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you. Have a great week. See you next week.